Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? It is Wednesday night, which means the staple show, and it's only the staple show this week. Ryan Talbot, we were just talking about this before we went live. This is kind of a weird uh, transition for us into the offseason. We were going three, you know, at the end there, four episodes per week, uh, getting after it. And so we took a couple days off, and now here we are seven days later after our last show, ready to get it ramped up again. It's been kind of weird. Oh, it's been really weird. I, you know, I don't like it. I, I would rather have Bill's seasons extend all the way to the Super Bowl, you know, or at least the championship game. That's something I could get used to here in the future years. But now that it's over, it's a very weird feeling. So we were talking uh, with our guest here tonight, right before we went live, and I told him point blank, I, I have a a sprint on my hands in terms of getting up to speed on the draft. The Bill season was so overwhelming on the beat, you know, covering a team that went to the AFC title game. I just have Ryan and I have not spent a lot of time on, on draft stuff. So we went to who we believe is one of the premier voices in the draft world from the draft network. And we're double dipping for you bills, mafia fans, host of locked on bills, the Joe Marino in the house. What's up, buddy? What's up guys. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I dabble in this draft and bill stuff, so maybe we can uh, <laughs> help you guys catch up a little bit. Oh, you are uh, you are quite the dabbler indeed. I'm I'm excited to to dive into all of this stuff from a Bills perspective. And you bring for anybody not familiar with Joe. First of all, make sure you're following him at Joe, the Joe Marino on Twitter. Uh, you can find him pretty much daily right now on Bills Talk. He does the Draft Dudes podcast, which, by the way, I love your intro on that show. I was listening to a couple episodes uh, this afternoon, and I always draft season doesn't feel official until I hear the Joe Marino uh, dudes being guys and all that kind of fun stuff it sounds like you guys have a lot of fun on that show we do man it's uh kyle and i we've been podcasting daily for like i don't know since 2016 or something like that so at this point we just know each other so well and it's very free-flowing conversation so we uh we talk about it all over there college football the nfl nfl draft and um you know we, we have a good time so this is the shout buffalo football podcast if you're new 
Thank you for giving us a shot here. Uh, we're brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. If you're watching on YouTube, even better. We're really trying to grow our YouTube channel. Uh, we love the YouTube interaction, the comment section. Uh, since we started the podcast has always been so awesome. Uh, so if you are, are here on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like this video, hit the bell, all those fun little things that we have to get in. Let's, But I want to start here tonight, Ryan, with establishing a little base before we get too much into the draft stuff with Joe, because as everybody should know, Joe dropped uh, draft 5.1, I believe, uh, two iterations, two rounds this week. Uh, uh, so you can dive into that. Uh, we'll put a link in, in, in the description on all the shows. We're going to dive heavily into that, but I want to establish kind of the first, you know, three big needs of this team position wise. Ryan, why don't you start us off? What do you think? Hey, you know, I'm going to go with edge rusher. I, I think edge rusher needs to be a high priority. I, I know that they tried to address the defensive line, especially the edge going out and getting Mario Addison, drafting AJ Epinesa. Uh, they still have Jerry Hughes, but I feel like the Bills are lacking that true pass rusher that can be a game-in, game-out, game-changer. And I get that those types of players are very difficult to find. You're usually drafting very high. Uh, as you can see, the Washington football team last year with a guy like Chase Young, as we saw with the Cleveland Browns years ago with Miles Garrett. So easier said than done, but I just feel like Buffalo needs that. You saw against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, it felt like Patrick Mahomes had all day back there. No one was getting near him for the most part. It wasn't until uh, Jerry Hughes ran him out of bounds late in the game that they even recorded their first sack. So for, for me, edge rusher is at the top of my list. And I think that'll probably be number one for all of us, uh, or at least I think so. It is for me too. Where do you kind of fall, um, Joe, in terms of number one and maybe you know those secondary position needs? What's difficult about answering that question, Matt, is – not knowing what's going to happen with some of these free agents, whether that's Matt Milano at linebacker, two starting offensive linemen and John Feliciano and Daryl Williams. Uh, and you start there before you even start even thinking about, well, how do you get better, right? Before you just kind of do your best to maintain status quo. And obviously the, the cap's going to be quite restricted this year for Brandon Bean. And, you know, they're picking 30th in the draft. So they don't necessarily have those premium resources to really take swings and and really improve the football team. So, uh, it, to me, it's it's figuring out what you're going to do with those key free agents, how you're going to pay them, and, and that may come as a result of letting players go, whether that's John Brown. Well, you let John Brown go, now you got a big need at wide receiver too. If you were to cut you know, some of these defensive linemen that came in, like a Vernon Butler, a Mario Addison, a Quinton Jefferson, you know, those guys maybe didn't live up to their contracts, but they're critical pieces of the rotation. And you know, Ryan just said that this team needs more help on the defensive line, and so – you know, there's a there's a lot that they have to sort out with the guys that are already in place in terms of, you know, who's going to stay, who's going to uh, go, who they're going to re-sign, who they're going to let walk. And I feel like that's going to dictate so much of our ability to really hone in on what this team needs. So I don't know that I didn't I, – I know I didn't answer the question, uh, you know, Matt, but I feel like there's so many unknowns about the roster at this point for us to really – get into it. Obviously you'd love to say, well, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest need is building a team that can beat the Kansas city chiefs. Well, all right. That sounds all fine and dandy, but you know, who's playing right guard, who's playing right tackle, who's starting mm -hmm. at linebacker. And how do you even address those things before you talk about improving uh, with limited resources? And there's so many fun cons uh, conversations in all of that, because I think the, 
perception varies depending on who you talk to in terms of level of play at certain positions. Uh, you know, as you're starting to kind of get into the roster a little bit and where things need to be tweaked a little bit, of course, the Matt Milano's are out there, the Daryl Johns or the Daryl Williams are out there that, you know, are going to be big off season discussions, but you know, where they have returning players, I think that there are some issues. I mean, I tweeted about it earlier today. Um, you know, I, I started looking at potential cornerback free agents because I, I'm going to play a clip here from Brandon Bean in a moment. Uh, and he talked a little bit about the, the offseason strategy and you know, we'll get into some cap numbers and stuff like that. But, you know, I thought that cornerback play outside of Tredavious White, who even had his struggles at times, obviously injuries. We've talked about all of that throughout the season. You know, I think they really need to upgrade that cornerback two spot. And we could talk about what options there are in the draft. But I think that in terms of the market free agency, at least looking at the you know initial projections and some of the market value numbers that are out there, you can maybe upgrade at that cornerback two spot. And if you can then follow suit by upgrading on the defensive line and hoping that guys like Ed Oliver take another step next year and Tremaine Edmonds improves or gets back to form with Star Latulale back in the mix, if he's even back in the mix, that's another fun thing. People are kind of just like, you know, kind of insinuating that a lot of players are just going to be back that opted out. I think there's a lot of questions about those folks that, that opted out and what what kind of shape they're going to be in and what, what kind of mindset they're going to be in coming back. What kind of league are they coming back into? Uh, are there still COVID restrictions? So those are all conversations that we can have. Um, but I think that, I guess my question is, how much of a need do you feel that cornerback is? Well, I, I think the Bills can get better at CB2, where they've ridden the Levi Wallace thing for a couple years. And, you know, I don't think he's a liability per se, but there's a couple games every year where you watch Levi Wallace play and you realize that some of his physical restrictions show up and, you know, teams are able to get after him a little bit. And so on one hand, the Bills have been able to have a quite a bit of success with Levi Wallace at CB2. But, you know, I think when you start talking about taking that next step on defense, it does come by having a more dynamic player opposite of cornerback two, or excuse me, opposite of Trey White at cornerback two, especially when you're thinking about the Chiefs, right? If you want to get the Super Bowl, you got to beat the Chiefs. Well, the Chiefs have Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill, who are three-tenths faster than Levi Wallace in a 40-yard dash. Like, he can't run with those guys. And because he can't run with those guys, you can't play man coverage. You have to play zone. And if you play zone, you just invite Patrick Mahomes to pick you apart. So uh, I do think there's a lot of merit to what you said there, Matt, about just players on the team getting better. And that might be the the way that the team actually improves more so than different names coming in and, and representing upgrades. It's players that they have getting better. And I remember when Marv Levy was the GM of the Bills and, and uh, he kind of talked about this and he was asked about different moves that he could make. And he said, you know, sometimes you just get better by the players on your roster improving. And he mentioned Brad Butler and talked about how Brad Butler was going <laughs> to take a step forward and fill one of those starting roles on the offensive line. And, and he did, right? I know Brad, he wound up having a pretty quick career. He retired, pursued politics or whatever he did. But, you know, the team got better at offensive line because Brad Butler was able to improve his game and fill a role. And when you look at the Ed Olivers of the world and the A.J. Epinesas, maybe a Cody Ford, Dawson Knox, Dane Jackson, Tremaine Edmonds, like this is how the Bills are going to get better because, again, like I'm not trying to, to like cast a wet blanket over everyone's great ideas to bring in talent, but the Bills are at the cap right now. 
And have you seen the list of free agents? It's pretty long. And, and those guys are, there's a lot of meaningful players. It's not just Feliciano, Williams, and Milano. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. Isaiah McKenzie and Andre Roberts, and they do have to figure something out with Levi Wallace and Tyler Croft. And are they going to cut Lee, you know, Lee Smith? Are they going to cut these other players and create holes? So as much as we, we can talk about options to get better, we're talking about pick 30 in the draft and, and a very limited amount of uh, cap space to really be aggressive in free agency. Let me play a quick Brandon Bean clip from last week, uh, and that'll we can also have a little bit more conversation on some of the options, the maneuverability that he has in terms of these free agents. I mean, we got to continue. We're gonna have to draft well. That's first off because the the salary cap, and and um, this is not gonna be a free agency that we can be as aggressive. You know, we've been aggressive with that because we build up the resources, and you can only have so many drafts. You know, at the end of the day, we still want to draft, develop, and sign our own. And we're getting to that point where now we don't have to go out and add pieces from free agency. We got to see how many of the guys that we can retain. We'll fill in here and there some holes, but um, I would not in- anticipate uh, any blockbuster moves of, you know, Steph Diggs type or uh, some of the moves we made the year before in free agency. It's really going to be plugging some holes depending on who we lose. And then, the onus is on us to really have a strong draft. And that's why we brought uh, this man in tonight, because we're going to talk about that draft and how they can fill some of those holes. But, you know, just to give you an idea of where things sit, I mean, I started kind of doing some early projections and I put up a story on the site just now. Uh, I listened to uh, Mike Gennetti uh, from uh, Spot Track. He was on WGR this week. Great interview by Jeremy and Howard. Um, and, and he talked about Josh Allen's you know, looming extension. And so you start to look at some of the cap figures and look at some of the contracts and, you know, there's some savings to be had. I mean, you look at Mitch Morse, almost 5 million savings, Mario Addison, 6 million, John Brown, 8 million, Jerry Hughes, uh, almost uh, 7 million. I don't think he's a cut candidate, but maybe a restructure in there. Quentin Jefferson, six and a half, Vernon Butler, six and a half, Lee Smith, two and a half. Uh, and obviously Lee Smith uh, talking uh, maybe even in contemplating retirement. Uh, I saw something out there today about that. So um, there's plenty of of things to move around with this cap, but as projected right now, they're about six million over the cap. So even with all those kind of gymnastics, you're probably only looking at you know you know maybe twenty million if you can do the right kind of work to play with, and that's just not a lot of money to make a big impact in free agency, especially. Well, inevitably, when Brandon Bean became the general manager of the Bills, like every other team in the world, whenever a new regime comes in, they flip the roster. I mean, even go back to 2017, a team that went to the playoff, not a whole lot of guys still around from from that group. And so we're finally at that point in the life cycle of the team where the nucleus is kind of set, and it really comes back to developing your talent, being wise with who you, you choose to extend, and then the onus being back on drafting well, and that's always going to be the lifeblood of sustained success and continuation of building deep and talented rosters. You got to hit on draft picks, and so it's going to be a big, um, a big task for Brandon Bean and his staff. Fortunately, looks like he's been able to keep it intact, which I did not anticipate happening. And um, you know, maybe maybe he needs to trade back and accumulate some more draft capital to really fill in this roster with some some players that can make an impact, but also come at a low salary. 
Yeah, and you know, you've mentioned it. They have the nucleus in place. They have to draft well. So let's transition to your mock draft, your most recent mock draft, because as Matt said, you're on version 5.1 now. So you've been you've been uh, going at this for a while now. I am a Notre Dame fan, so I was ready to take the card, run it up to the podium when I saw your latest mock draft. I like the the second round pick as well, but I don't want to get too much into details. I want, that's what we have you here for. So why don't you tell us about the first two picks you have for the Bills, a linebacker out of Notre Dame and a wide receiver from UNC, and, and tell the Bills how they could fit, or tell the fans how they could the Bills uh, could utilize these two prospects into their already talented roster. Well, you know, I, I just kind of like what I started off with. So much of of our discussion moving forward this offseason is going to depend on who the Bills are able to keep and who they have to let walk. And when I listen to Brandon Bean talk about Matt Milano and free agency and that's that's coming up for him, he said two things that really stuck out in my mind. He said, number one, Matt Milano's got to figure out how to be available for 16 games. And then number two, he said, Matt Milano has earned the right to see what his market bears. Well, he said the same thing about Jordan Phillips, right? It was like, it was like all right. I got it. He's not going to be back. Now, I'm not saying that's for sure. I'm just telling you my my feel on the way he talked about the situation. It didn't give me any type of affirmation that, yeah, he, they're going to do everything they can to get Matt Milano back. Well, Matt Milano walks. You've got a big need at linebacker. And, um, you know, you for Sean McDermott's defense to really be, you know, the best version of what he wants it to be, he needs those two dudes on the second level. Go back to Carolina, Thomas Davis. Luke Keekley, and it's been Edmonds and Milano, and it's been a good group for you know the last three years or however long they've been together. But Milano goes, and and now you now you don't you don't have an answer on the roster to step in and and, and be that guy. And so uh, with the thirtieth pick in the draft, I had Buffalo taking Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. We'll call him JOK from this point forward, the linebacker from Notre Dame. And when you think about a matchup linebacker that serves as a pursuit-style player, that can play in coverage, that can uh, play in space. I mean, JOK is probably, in a lot of ways, has better traits than Milano. Now, we've seen Matt Milano in this system, and he's played well, and he's done a lot of those matchup things, but I think JOK is, is a more dynamic athlete, and so I think he has a higher ceiling than Matt Milano. And, and again, if you let Milano go, then you've got to replace him, and I think pick 30, when we talk about value, you know, you're not going to get that that Chase Young type pass rusher, and you're not going to get uh, an elite uh, offensive lineman, right? I mean, that, that's just not what happens at pick 30. Yeah, sometimes you can get T.J. Watt in that range, but a lot of times, you know, that's Charles Harris or Taco Charlton instead. So I, I think when you're getting to the later parts of the first round, first of all, you can't marry yourself to any ideas. You can't be committed to any one player. There's going to be 29 picks before the Bills are on the board. And so it just I thought the value was appropriate. The need was was quite clear. And, and I just feel like they have to have that type of linebacker for this defense to work. And so, again, with obviously uh, a lack of real knowledge on a lot of these uh, prospects uh, and that I'm looking forward to the next three months of, of really diving into that. And one of the kind of bummers of this season is because of um, COVID and also the fact that the bills were still in the playoffs, uh, right before it happened, we didn't go down to the senior bowl. So we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, some takeaways and maybe some winners from there to for bills fans to kind of get on their radar. But one question I had just looking at this mock draft here is 
depending on what happens with the Bills, John Feliciano is obviously a free agent. Cody Ford is expected to be back and healthy next year and probably plugged in at one of those guard spots. We know the Bills like Ike Bucker. And to your earlier point, I mean, I would expect a jump from Bucker from this mm -hmm. year to, to next year. I mean, he's somebody that played pretty well, I thought, in, in his first real opportunity to start. With that experience, I expect him to kind of hit the ground running in the offseason. We had Jeremiah Searles on last week, and he he loves Ike Bucker. He thinks he's got a he's got a bright future, can kind of play all three interior positions. But you had uh, a dude here, Vera Tucker, uh, two picks down that I've read a little bit about the last couple of days. You decided not to go with him uh, at that spot. Uh, any particular reason? Is it somebody that you maybe valued a, a little bit lower? Um, and is it somebody where if Milano does resign, does that kind of – is he somebody that could be in the mix there for you? Well, my line of thinking with the Bills' selection here was that I didn't think Milano was going to be back, and I thought Brandon Bean would focus his efforts on making sure he's got that offensive line right for Josh Allen. I feel like ever since 2018, Brandon Bean has been real serious about offensive line. You know, I, I think he, he he's even said it, that he didn't do a good enough job in 2018 in that department. And then look at the last two years and the amount of depth in rosterable players – he's brought in to play offensive line. So I just didn't have the feeling based on what I've learned about Brandon Bean over the last three years that he was going to go into this thing and say, hey, at pick 30, I got to find a starting offensive lineman, you know, especially when this is a Josh Allen driven football team. I just feel like that that priority is going to be there in free agency. I, I think they'll probably want to bring back Daryl Williams. And then, I mean, Matt, I mean, and Ryan, you guys heard Bean talk about Cody Ford. Like he he's raving about the guy. Talked yeah. about how he's one one of the most talented offensive linemen that they have, and that he'd be surprised if he wasn't one of the starting five. So, regardless of what we think we've seen from Ford on the field, and maybe there should be some questions about you know how much he can be relied upon and where he's at in his development. It sure sounded like Bean thought that that was one of his starters for next year. And you mentioned Ike Bakker. So if you bring back Daryl Williams. Ford's one of your guards. Bacher's one of your guards. You still got Morse and, and Dawkins. I mean, you're in pretty good shape. And, you know, they still have Ryan Bates as a reserve. And, and he's done a good job of finding um, players to, to round out the depth. And, and I think he'll continue to do that. Elijah Vera Tucker from USC would be a great first round pick of the Bills. I think he'd be more of a guard. Um, and I think he's more of a technician. And something about the way we watched this Bills offensive line last year, just not necessarily getting that dynamic push in the run game. I'm not sure that they'd want a positional type blocker like a Vera Tucker. They're going to want that guy with an edge and a guy that brings some attitude and that get after people in the run game type mentality. And so I just didn't know that that was the type of fit um, based on you coupled with everything I just said uh, to, to not go with the linebacker in this spot. You know, Joe, you mentioned that uh, late in the first round, the, the edge prospects are like the Taco Charlton's, the Charles Harris's. Are there any prospects in that second half of the first round that would be worth trading up for if you were Brandon Bean to address that position? Because in your most recent mock draft, you did have uh, two players go in that uh, 20 to, to 29 range. So anyone that you would see, okay, well, if he's still on the board at 20, 22, I could see Brendan Bean calling up and trying to get this guy. I don't know why my mind goes to the Marcus Davenport trade that the Saints pulled off and they moved from like 28 to I think like 14 or something like that. They wound up trading their first round pick the next year to go get this guy. And Davenport's been the third best pass rusher on their team ever since. Mm -hmm. I mean, Trey Hendricks is, was a better player over the last two years than Davenport. And I don't think he's provided that impact. And 
Saints fans gave me, you know, all the meanest things you can say in the world about me at the time because I was very critical. But now it's time to spike the football because I was right about that. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know, like, I don't know that the Bills are are should be thinking about trading up. I have eighteen. I'm looking at the Draft Networks our consensus rankings. We have eighteen edge rushers ranked between fifteen and one hundred five on our overall board. There's so much depth to that position group. Um, so I, I just don't know that I just don't know that unlike, unless like a quitty pay from Michigan somehow slides or Gregory Rousseau takes a dip down the board. If it's not a talent like that, I, I mean, I just don't know that there's that much of a differentiation between edge three and edge 15 in this year's class. Mm. Great stuff there. Uh, we'll get into the second round in a moment. Uh, went with a receiver. Interested to hear your thoughts on that. Quick word from our sponsor before we do. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. So, yeah, we, we talked, we had, uh, last week we had uh, Mike Giardi from NFL Network on. And, you know, one of the first names out of his mouth, and I think the fir- one of the first names out of most people's mouths talking about off-season decision-making for this Bills team is John Brown. And, you know, that's a lot of money uh, that you can save and apply to some other positions and maybe some greater positions of need um, based on his production in another injury kind of riddled year. And I think you're, you're another side conversation of that is you're about to get a whole heck of a lot younger next year at the position. Anyway, you figure Isaiah Hodgins is going to a, a guy that they're going to want to give a larger platform to. You mentioned Isaiah McKenzie, you expect him to be back in the mix and maybe his role continue to um, grow. I mean, I'm still surprised that we didn't see a little bit more of McKenzie in the playoffs after his dynamic performance against the Dolphins. And I think Gabriel Davis, I mean, he's just kind of scratching the surface of what he can be. And I think he's going to come in a completely different animal. Uh, and maybe you, you hand the reins to him a little bit in that wide receiver two role. And oh, by the way, you still got Diggs and, and Cole Beasley. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've i evolved in my stance on John Brown because when I was asked about this on the Lockdown Bills I really pushed hard back against it. And I said, you know, look, I think John Brown means a lot to the football team. And Hmm. if they let him go, they're going to need a wide receiver too, because I don't know that Gabriel Davis is ready to be that next year. I think he's got a lot to, a lot of room to grow in terms of just developing his route tree. And um, I think he was in a lot of ways, I'm really satisfied with his rookie season, but I think he benefited from the scheme quite a bit and, and some of the attention that some of the other weapons I uh, took and, and, you know, it, some of his best moments just came in backyard plays from Josh Allen. And, and that's a testament to what he can do, right? I mean, Gabriel Davis, the best things about him were his size and ball skills down the field. And we saw him make plays in that regard, but I'm not, you know, I, Davis isn't the type of guy that's going to shake a guy at the line of scrimmage and uncover quickly and create after the catch. Like there's, there's parts of his game that are missing. And so you, you take this back to John Brown and here's, Here's what gives me a little bit more confidence in in it being the right move to move on from John Brown. The Bills' offense was amazing this year. 501 points. They were second in the NFL in yards, second in the NFL in scoring. Well, John Brown played you know less than half the plays and caught 33 passes. I mean, he wasn't a big part of the offensive success this year. And so when you consider the holes that are potentially coming here and the need for cap space – and that you could clear out, what is it, around $8 million or something like that if you were to move on from John Brown, you know, you start to think, well, yeah, maybe that's just what they they need to do. Um, so 
in my mind, if they do move on from Brown, I, I do think that there becomes a need to add to this wide receiver mix. Um, and they're going to need that guy that can kind of take the top off the defense and really stress defenses vertically down the field to open up everything else in terms of the underneath stuff. And so in, in the second round of my mock draft, I think that's what we're trying to get back to. Mm-hmm. I had the Bills going with uh, wide Podcast receiver Diami Brown from North Carolina. This is a player that really grew on me. Um, I went into the season thinking that Daz Newsom was the better wide receiver at North Carolina. And then I, I just thought, Brown took a major step forward in 2020, especially in terms of what he can do down the field and creating vertical separation. And when you can win vertically, it creates so many other opportunities for you because you can snap off those routes and and really leave guys in the dust and break them off on hard horizontal breaks and set up your post routes and uh, just do a lot. And I think he's got good ability after the catch. I love what he does in the middle of the field. He's a fearless guy. And so when I think about his opportunity to come in and make an impact for the bills because of the type of receiver he is. If the bills move on from John Brown, I think he's a slam dunk fit. Um, my comp for him is Mike Wallace and, and think about good Mike mm. Wallace, not like end of the year where he was end of his career where he's overpaid. But I, I think like prime Mike Wallace, like the Steelers, Mike Wallace is the type of ceiling that Deami Brown has. And I think that's pretty appealing to add to the offense if they do have to move on from John Brown. Now you keep John Brown. I, I'm not even thinking about a wide receiver in the second round. Yeah, no, that, that's more than fair. And I, I liked what you said about Brown just there. Now we, we've mentioned multiple times, Brendan Bean says, I have to draft really well. Yeah. He has to draft well every year. I mean, that's just part of being an NFL GM. So let's talk a little bit about this year's class. We've talked a little bit about Gabriel Davis. What did you think of Buffalo's rookie class this year, starting from AJ Epineza going all the way to Dane Jackson? I think they got more production than I was anticipating, to be honest with you. I don't want to say Bean seemed nonchalant about the draft last year because he had a lot of energy and enthusiasm, but I started to think about that Jake Fromm pick. It just it still grinds at me. It felt like if <laughs> that pick, just the way he talked about it was like palms in the air, like, ah, oh, yeah, we never thought Jake Fromm was going to be there, and he was a really good college player. And so, you know, we we picked him, and it was like, I was like, man, did you did you did you take this seriously? Like, and I, I'm not trying to like cast shade at him, but it felt like it's felt like for a couple years now where Brandon Bean has been thinking to himself that I don't know that I have a whole lot of like spaces for to add these rookies to my team, right? Like there wasn't a whole lot of roster spots available. And so like he was kind of willing to roll the dice on some guys and some low upside guys, in my view. Um, so to to get us back to to this year's draft class, I didn't think that they were going to give as much production as they did. I mean, you wind up AJ Epinesa once he got his weight figured out, he wound up, you know, being a a, a guy that put Trent Murphy on the inactive list every week. Uh, you think about Zach Moss. I mean, wind up kind of being more the feature back as the season went along, and and he got cleared away from that turf toe injury early on. I mean, they found their kicker. Gabriel Davis had a really good rookie season. Dane Jackson had flashes as a seventh round pick. Um, you know, I, I just feel like there was more production from this group than I thought. And, um, it, it kind of goes back to like, maybe there was a little bit more room on this roster for rookies to produce and, and make an impact. And I think some of those guys are going to be really important for next year. We were talking a little bit about cornerback too a little while ago. And, you know, I should mention that I, I really like Dane ja- Jackson's chances to insert himself in that competition in, in the, in the summer. I mean, Brandon Bean, I think it was that specifically mentioned him. Uh, and I don't even know if he was asked specifically about Jackson. I can't remember the exact exchange now, but he mentioned him in the, in the, in the flashes that he's shown. And I thought 
one of the things missing is, you know, I don't think it's even a lack of effort, but when it comes to Levi Wallace, my impression of his play is he doesn't have the capability to be as physical as I think you need to be sometimes in certain scenarios. And I thought one of the things I liked about Dane Jackson, and I'll take it right to that DeAndre Hopkins play. I mean, you're going, you're an undra or you're, you're a seventh round rookie going up against maybe the best receiver in the league. And you're willing to, you know, mix it up with him at the line of scrimmage and then make a big play in the end zone. That to me screams that he's ready for maybe a, a bigger piece of the pie here moving forward. Yeah, I think, I think if you were to make that transition to Jane, Dane Jackson, I do think you become more aggressive. You become more physical on defense, and uh, he's a good tackler. You know, I don't know that you get more athletic. That's that's kind of the downside of Dane Jackson, and, and you just wish he had more more juice, right? More athleticism, more quickness, more twitch, more speed. He, he's a slightly better athlete than than Levi Wallace, but he's still he's still not a guy that's going to be able to turn and run in man coverage if you want to run more man coverage. So. I love the way he competes, and and I and I do think that he should be in the mix for that CB two spot. You know, I I still I'm still left wanting that that better athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah. In in terms of just giving you more matchup options with your with your DBs, because there's just not a whole lot of speed in the Bills secondary. It's funny, and I know Ryan wants to get to a player that I know <laughs> all Bills mafia is salivating about, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Probably not going to happen. Sorry, Bills fans, but um. <laughs> You know, you, you look at the last two playoff losses for the Bills, the Houston game and the Kansas City game, and two cornerbacks in that game. I want to talk to you a little bit about those two cornerbacks at the draft level and a where they went about range wise. I think Bashad Breeland was undrafted. Am I right? I think he's like a fourth round pick. Fourth round pick. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, Bradley Roby is another guy that I was I thought really played well and a guy that had an impact on the game. And I think you look at. Breland, obviously, he, he had quite the impact uh, in the Kansas City game. Who are kind of those kind of cornerbacks in this draft that maybe, you know, Bills fans can start to maybe keep an eye on, maybe mid mid to later rounds if they don't sign a cornerback in free agency or don't go cornerback on day one or two? Yeah, so you want to go late round cornerbacks. All right. Mid, middle, mid, mid, mid to late, mid to late. I'll tell you, the, I just want to talk about a cornerback. There's, there's a guy that it's, it's caught my eye. I got a little twinkle about this guy. Ifayatu Melifonwu, cornerback from Syracuse. <laughs> what have it on my list. Have it what on my name. list. He's a good player. I did He's his really tape good. like now. Uh, it was before the Senior Bowl, like sometime the, like the week before, and I'm just like, I got to get eyes on this guy and write him up. Um, because, I, I mean, I did. Obviously, I did summer scouting. I watched him throughout the year, but I wanted to put that lens on. You know, it's a, when you have that final evaluation lens on, it really becomes different. I think he's a good player. I mean, he's got length. He's got athleticism. He could turn a run. He's quick. He's physical. I think he's got ball skills, even more so than his production indicates. I mean, you watch this guy in zone. He stay lever stays leveraged. He reads the backfield. And he's really aggressive with his decisions to break on the ball, and he's got length. I mean, I think he's a tailor-made cover three corner, but also a guy that I think can turn and run with guys. And he gives you size, and he is willing to be physical. Um, he may wind up being a guy that, we say, I don't think he gets to, what are the Bills pick, 60 or something, 61, something in that range? Uh, well, you're, you may be a slight reach at 30, but you're not getting them at 61. And so, like, if you start talking trade back, you know, he's the type of guy that you either pull the trigger on at 30 or, or move back a little bit and hope that you can still get. But, um, you know, he he's, to me, that type of player that I think warrants a fairly early investment that if the bills were willing to do this, if they, if they agreed with the idea that CB two was a need, I think that he would be a, a really good fit. Another guy that's kind of lost his sizzle, but gives you traits. 
Tyson Campbell from Georgia. Length, athleticism, you know, he's he's twitched up, he's quick, he's physical. He's not a guy that gives you the ball skills that you're looking for, and that's a little bit disappointing. That's a that's a part of his game that's missing, and that's going to push him down the board. But size and athleticism and physicality from Tyson Campbell, if you're talking third, fourth round, I think that's a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the the three names that I had down on my list of people that kind of hit up with you, and we have another player coming up in a little bit. Uh, if he is what he goes by, right, for the first name there. I think he would be an ideal candidate. Probably, though, like you said, you'd have to trade down maybe in the uh, out of the first round and, and be able to get him there. But Bill's fans throughout this season have fallen in love with Kyle Pitts. And like mm. Matt said, it's not happening. It's just not. There's Picking no scenario. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no scenario where that's going to happen. But are there any other prospects in this year's draft that Bill's fans should keep an eye on? Or should they just stay with Dawson Knox in terms of what we've seen out of him in his first two years compared to everyone else in that draft class? Uh, he, he's not really he, – he's in the top three, top four in terms of production in that draft class right now. So do you bring in a veteran to bring him along for one more year and then hope that he continues to develop? Or is there maybe someone in this draft that you think would be a, a nice compliment to Dawson Knox? Before I answer this, do you guys mind if I like kick you guys a question? Because Ooh, I love I, it. I, I did the I unlocked on Bills today. I did my performance review on the tight ends. And when I listened to Brandon Bean talk about the tight ends, I thought he put them on blast. I mean, he straight up said, uh, we never got to the point where defenses were concerned about our tight ends going off. Dawson Knox started the year inconsistent. And he said he said specifically, I wish we had a guy like Travis Kelsey. I mean, mm-hmm. why would he say that if he if he wasn't very serious about like putting these guys on notice and potentially making a significant move at tight end. Matt Ryan, did you guys get that same feeling or am I like reading too much into that? No, I agree. We, we actually talked last week about a guy like Kyle Rudolph, if he becomes available, a guy like Zach Ertz, if he's available, he, he, obviously not Travis Kelsey uh, right. because, you know, guys like that All don't come around very often. Yeah. yeah. But if you can bring in that veteran that can be that contributor, that can put those guys on notice, that can push Dawson Knox, I think you have to do it. And I'm not saying Greg Olson would have done that last year, yeah. but that's why the Bills were in on him. Yeah. That's why there was legitimate interest in, in Greg Olson. And Olson has even said it was kind of down to Seattle and Buffalo. So who knows what would have happened there. But no, I agree. I, I think he he pretty much said, listen, I need more from this position. Uh, because if we did get a, a difference maker there, boy, this offense would even ascend to another level. And that's kind of a scary thought. Yeah. Listen, yeah this is a, this is a very pro Brandon Bead podcast. And for obvious reasons, I mean, does to, to watch the job that mm-hmm. he's done over the last four years. I mean, there's a lot of, it's hard to poke a lot of holes in anything that he's done. But one thing I will say about this in particular, to your point is that I also kind of sit back and wonder well did you have some weird expectations of Dawson Knox to be a Travis Kelsey because I never had those I know Josh Allen was super pumped up about Dawson Knox going into this year I remember all of his interviews I think one of them was with us in in one of those zoom press conferences talking about all this hype around Dawson Knox I'm like all right I'm, I'm excited to watch the Dawson Knox show I wasn't until you guys started pumping this pumping his tires a little bit not to this level and so I'm wondering how much of a disconnect is there between what they think he is and what he can be. Cause I don't ever think he's going to be in that Travis Kelsey world, but maybe, I mean, we're still early on in the process. So I really like Dawson Knox. Um, I recognize he, he has a lot of room to, to get better. Um, he's, 
this is not a hot take. It's going to sound like a hot take, but it's really not. Now, Dawson Knox is one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL. I mean, physically gifted, like he's cream of the crop. There aren't guys with his size, his athleticism, his explosiveness. Like he, he's like 90th percentile in terms of athleticism testing and in size. He was a high school quarterback. He went to Ole Miss. Mm. He transitioned from quarterback to tight end, and he's in this offense, this Phil Longo offense that doesn't even care about tight ends. And they've got DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Elijah Moore, Van Jefferson, Demarcus Lodge. I mean, they're not throwing the ball to Dawson Knox. He didn't even catch a touchdown. He he. So he enters the NFL with 1,100 snaps in his life at tight end. And guys that play tight end their whole life have a hard time coming in and making an impact in the NFL at tight end much less a guy that played quarterback in high school and, and played in a system that, you know, was really just kindergarten for tight ends. So now he's going to the NFL. He winds up being the Bills starter as a rookie after missing a month of training camp in, in preseason, right, with that hamstring injury. Drops galore as a rookie, blocked pretty good, showed some flashes. This year, he comes in, you know, expecting him to get better. He winds up actually reducing his drop rate pretty pretty significantly and over the last nine games I mean he caught like he caught like 29 passes and, and five touchdowns including the playoffs after his first like six games he had eight catches for 109 yards and no touchdowns so like once he got past COVID and the concussion and the calf he wound up being a pretty good player for the Bills now I understand like there's still some inconsistency there he had a couple fumbles this year he still had some drops that you know, routine catches that he should have made, and then he'll make some dazzling catch along the sideline, and he reels you back in. Like, I get it. He's inconsistent. <laughs> but I'm in love with the ceiling. I, I think he's got a really high ceiling because of his physical traits to develop into a meaningful player. Now, now that's going to have to happen. And I want to go back to one more guy. Let's talk about Logan Thomas, right? Logan Thomas was the <laughs> quarterback at Virginia Tech. He, he goes Arizona. He goes to Buffalo. He goes Detroit. Not really doing much, right, in terms of production. Look at this guy this past year with Washington. I mean, he was really good. He had big-time numbers. He's like six years finally into playing tight end. He could, he finally had a decent year. So, like, this takes time for these guys to develop. And because he's so physically gifted, it, it gives me a little bit more longer of a leash to be patient with this guy. Now, with that said, we're talking about a team that wants to go to the Super Bowl. So, you you you, you know, like, how much do you want to bank on that? I, I get the, the apprehension. So, if Brandon being serious about this tight end stuff, you know, Kyle Pitts is going to be a top 10 pick. He's Darren Waller 2.0. But then there's a there's two more guys that I think can make an impact next year. One of them's Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. I think he's kind of an all-around guy. I don't think he's a plus blocker, but in terms of being physical, uh, being able to stress the middle of the field, work the scene, be that reliable guy that's going to, you know, be that real, like you, you call him a security blanket for the, the, the quarterback. I think Pat Fryermuth can be that. Now, if you're looking for an F tight end, a guy that's going to move around the formation, play some H back, flex out in the slot, a lot like what the Bills do with tight ends, Brevin Jordan from Miami. Uh, again, he's not like he's not a traditional inline guy, but if you if you want that versatile guy with athleticism that can really present a mismatch in terms of you know size and athleticism down the field, but good after the catch, you know that's the guy. That's the guy, Brevin Jordan. I don't know if you take him at 30 and he's kind of like one of those guys that you love to take, you know, in the 40 to 55 range. So the bills are kind of in no man's land, I think for appropriate value. But if you think you got to get that X factor, that, that dynamic difference maker that presents another layer that makes defenses a little concerned about what you have at tight end. I think it's got to be Pitts, Friar Muth or Jordan. If you're looking for something to help you next year. Hmm. One yes. quick thing here, Ryan, um, I'm just looking at the stat comparisons and 
because I guess it's a little bit unfair to sit here in year two, to your point and say, and kind of put a ceiling uh, on Dawson Knox because he really hasn't had the kind of opportunity that I think a guy like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle have had to kind of gain their success. Like one of the big things I think in both of those offenses at the times when they kind of made their jump was the opportunities. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 80 plus targets for Travis Kelsey in his second season. Um, Dawson Knox has about 80 in his first two years targets. So I think that as he kind of becomes more reliable and not only reliable in catching the ball, but reliable as in staying healthy, that target share is going to start to rise. And if they don't bring back John Brown and they, they have some issues with, you know, finding another weapon, if you will, he can maybe be that guy with a, a greater volume of looks. And I think to your point, listen, you kind of reeled me back in a little bit on the Dawson Knox hype with, with, with your, with your, uh, with your monologue there. That was, that was some pretty good stuff. I like traits. You know, I like guys that have physical talent because when you do that, like there, there's has to be a ceiling for you to like be able to make an impact. There has to be something that makes you difficult to deal with. And a lot of times that's physical traits, that size, athleticism, power, and like Dawson Knox has those things, and so I, I have a longer leash. I admit that I might be like a, a bit of an apologist with him, and I recognize the inconsistency, but I think there's enough physical skill there that gives me some optimism that he can be that guy. And again, like he is one of the most physically gifted tight ends in the NFL. And and if you look at the last nine games that he played, two touchdowns in three games in in, in the playoffs, I, I think there's something that he can do there. And again, like you have to ask yourself, what type of offense do you want to be? But the Bills had a 501 points and had the 30th, like like the second least amount of catches from tight ends last year. Like they're not a tight end centric offense, just like with the running game. Like, all right, well, we wish the running game was better and the Bills offense would be better if they ran the ball more effectively. But this was the number two scoring offense, the number two offense in terms of yards. Like, are these important factors to your script and why you win football games? You want those things to be better, but they weren't. I mean, they, they were still 13-3 and three and went to the AFC Championship game. Is that going to be the difference? Maybe, but they still were really good without necessarily having a Kelsey or dynamic rushing attack. No, that's a great point. Well, uh, let me tell you one more thing about this. And while this is on my head, the, Bill, the Bills are a wide receiver offense. Mm -hmm. They had the most catches and the most yards amongst wide receivers this year of any team. And they were the second team in yards was 433 behind the Bills. So when wow. you look for the tight end production and the running back production in terms of catching the football, it's made up right there. They they just get the ball to different players, but they still produce elite levels of offense. No, great, great point. So no NFL football this past weekend, but we did have the senior bowl. Were there any risers this week that you think really made some money for themselves first and foremost? And then second, who are maybe two or three players that you said, boy, these guys would be a good fit in Buffalo? I think the guys that were risers were the players that didn't have a chance to, to play in 2020, right? It was it's a difficult year for people like myself that evaluate these players. And you're used to a data pool of information that, you know, helps shape your opinion on players. And you have a certain amount of exposures that you're comfortable with and you write them up and you feel like you've done everything you needed to do to get that complete picture on a player. Well, now all of a sudden I, I don't have an entire year's worth of games, you know, for a lot of these guys. Now, you know, ACC players, SEC players, you still got what you're looking for. But, you know, Big Ten guys, I mean, Pac-12 guys only played like some of them three, four games. You know, the smaller school guys, their seasons are wiped out. 
So for guys, the smaller school guys, you think about Dave Moore from Grambling, Quinn Mainers, uh, guard from Wisconsin Whitewater, Dylan Radoons, offensive tackle from North Dakota State, Spencer Brown, offensive lineman from uh, Northern Illinois, or is it Northern Iowa? Northern Iowa. You know, these types of players that were on the radar, didn't have a season, but had a chance to go and compete and give us another exposure to help really just broaden that uh, that sample size of information that we need to, to know these players like we want to. You know, those are the guys that really benefited. You know, I want to give you some credit here because one of the early videos that I did uh, when I first got this gig first season, you came on and, uh, you know, on the old YouTube channel and, you know, we started just uh, getting after it and talking prospects. And one of the guys that you were really high on, and I always tell people that, you know, when you're looking for draft guys, always go to Joe Marino because he was on the money with DK Metcalf when everybody was jumping off that ship as as the as it trended towards the draft. And I felt like you kind of stayed on it and you stayed that that belief in what his abilities in terms of translating to the next level. And I'll put that interview actually in this um, the show notes too because it was a good one and it, and you had a good take on it and because that's important when you're evaluating guys. I mean, I feel and that's what I want to ask you like. How do you watch the games now? Like, I obviously you're a Bills fan, so you watch the Bills game, I would imagine, from a fan's perspective. But when you're watching an NFL game, are you watching it through the lens of, okay, how did I evaluate him? How is he, how is he living up to it or living down to what I thought he was going to be? Is that a lot of that happening for you? Yeah, I think you have to. I, I don't think – if all you ever do is evaluate college players and they go to the NFL and you don't really keep up with it, then – how do you know what works? How do you know why you got why you're right about about a player or why you missed on a player? And so, a big part of what we do and what I make part of my personal process is to watch a ton of NFL tape and reconcile what I said about players and, and figure out what was what I got right and what I got wrong. And then watching good football players and realizing what it takes to win in the NFL, like what techniques and what skill do you need to make that impact? And so. I think you have to do that or else you're never going to learn anything. And and man, like this, this work is, it's an inexact science. And so you, you want to learn as much as you can to give yourself a chance at being right more often than you're wrong. So yeah, a big part of what I do is definitely watching NFL players through that lens of, all right, why are they good? What, what makes them good? And it, it makes me, I think a better evaluator and it, and it helps me improve uh, in, in that really important part of what I do. That's awesome. So I, I told you I had a little list with a few names on it and another name that I really liked. And, and I hope I don't butcher it. I feel like there's a lot of players this year in this draft where I'm like, oh boy, I hope uh, if they land on the bills, I'm going to need like a pronunciation guide immediately. Hamsa, uh, Hamsa uh, Nezrildin. I don't, I don't know if I said that last name right or not. He seems like that big nickel candidate last year. All the talk leading up to the draft was Buffalo loves Kyle Duggar. Buffalo loves Kyle Duggar. And then Duggar went early, so we'll never actually know how they truly felt about him one way or the other. But they they promoted a coach internally to be a, the big nickel coach. I feel like it's something they want to utilize more. They want to have that guy that can erase the tight end position. What can you tell us about this prospect, and, and would he be a good fit in Buffalo? Yeah, that's the guy. If you want the Buffalo nickel, if you want that positionless sub-package defender, Hamza Nasser Dean from Florida State, that's the dude. Um, he's a guy that benefited a ton from the Senior Bowl because he he had a, an ACL tear in November of 2019. It took him a long time to get back. I mean, he only played like 
a game and a half or two games late in the year at Florida State. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of left wondering, like, is he okay? Like, is he going to be all right? And he goes to the Senior Bowl, and at least in, in the practice tape that I watched, I thought he held his own and, and really did a good job of uh, matching up with tight ends. And, and so you look at him as as that tight end eraser, but also a guy that I think can play against some of the bigger slots, man coverage, but also, you know, in the NFL where so much is based on pace and space, you need guys like this that, you know, if you want to go small, you can still have a guy that can come in and play downhill and, and tackle right against the run or, you know, whatever type of quick game that you're presented with. So I think it would help the bills become more diverse in what they do schematically on defense. And I think you know, Taron Johnson had a good year, um, but I think they could play the matchups a bit more if they have a player like uh, Nasser Dean to do that. And so, yeah, if you were in on the, the Kyle Duggars or the Jeremy Chins last year, Nasser Dean's that guy this year for me that really can fill that type of role. I'll give you one other name just so that we don't get married to one guy. Uh, it's, of course, Ryan, another name that's nearly impossible to pronounce. Uh, from South Carolina, Israel Mukuwamu. Uh, he's like 6'4", 210, 215 pounds, and um, he's high cut, right? He's high hipped. I was really impressed with like just how quick his footwork is and how his transitions weren't super elongated for a guy like that. And he does a really good job of using his length and he's really physical. He's a guy that, you know, like his length matters. He's a guy that can tackle outside of his frame. And um, I was really impressed with his tape. I don't think he had a great year this year. Uh, he had some injury stuff that he was dealing with. But if you go back to 2018 and 2019, which th- that's another part of my process that is so critical, summer scouting, because if all you watch is 2020, you, you're sometimes not seeing guys at their best. And for Mukawamu, like if you want to watch 2020 tape, go ahead and do it. But you're going to see the best version of him in 2019 and 2018. And, and I think that a guy that can play like a slot safety type thing in a lot of ways like Nasser Dean. So just to give another name out there, if, if, you're, if you're thinking Buffalo nickel, that big nickel, that positionless, Sub-package defender Nasser Ladin to me is the 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 poster poster boy this year the the shining star but that fallback options Mukuwamu. Man, we got a lot of homework to do, and you provided <laughs> some great great uh, study materials tonight, my friend. We're looking forward to diving in to all your content. Give a shout out to anything that you want to pump. Uh, what what people can expect this week on the on on any of the podcasts, and obviously the Draft Network. Yeah, so I Locked On Bills daily podcast in the Buffalo Bills. We're working through our performance review series right now where I'm going in on each position group and talking about what went well, what didn't go well, and some ideas on how to improve things. And so we got wide receivers coming up. And then uh, next week I have an interview that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm going to talk to Benjamin Solak, my colleague from the Draft Network, and he covers the Philadelphia Eagles. And you guys know that the Josh Allen discussion coming out of 2019 was, oh, he's Blake Bortles, Mitchell Trubisky. Well, it seems like he's at least graduated to being the next Carson Wentz. All right, so let's have that discussion. (laughs) Let's talk about Carson Wentz, what went well in Philadelphia, and what the hell happened this year. And and is there there a cautionary tale that exists when we talk about Josh Allen potentially signing that big extension this year and and the Eagles' decision to do that, you know, uh, after three seasons with Wentz, after, you know, what he's shown. So, I'm really anxious to pick his brain, and that that's going to run next week. And then, obviously, we have the DraftNetwork.com, the mock drafts uh, machine, and all that over there. So uh, you mm. can read all about these players and do some mock draft simulations and send them to me, and I'll tell you how much I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, great stuff, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to that episode. And fortunately for the Bills and Josh Allen, there's no Elshon Jeffrey walking around one <laughs> Bills drive. So that's probably a good thing. 
Calvin Benjamin's already gone. They're 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 okay on that front. There you go. All right, guys, we're gonna come back with a little bit more. We're gonna say goodbye to Joe Marino. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. All right. I'm trying to do the transitions better, Ryan. Ain't got the <laughs> thing on the on the site. That's I should just right. hopped over to this. It's all right. Man, Joe Joe Marino giving us a lot of food for thought as we kind of start to dive into our offseason uh, draft prep. Uh, hopefully, we can get him back on as we get closer to the draft. And you and I are much more uh, uh, well versed on uh, on all these prospects. But I want to get into a couple things before we get out of here. First and foremost, and we're going to get into this at the start of the show, and and um, you know talk to you guys a little bit more because I actually have some 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 homework for you. And we got a, we we got a, quite a few people still watching on YouTube. Uh, we're so appreciative of you guys. I mean, if, if you're just getting here, please smash that subscribe button on the page. If you already subscribed, thank you. Uh, but I want to give you guys all a little bit of homework. And I hope people watching and, and if you're if you're listening on all the audio platforms, we're, we're on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. Subscribe there too. Uh, you can download and listen to any parts of the show that you want. Uh, we're looking to kind of shape our off-season plans a little bit with the podcast in terms of how many episodes you guys want per week, what you want us to cover, maybe segment ideas. We want you guys to be involved in the process as we're starting to kind of work this, work through this. You can hit us up in our DMs. Both of our DMs are open on Twitter. Obviously, you can comment on any of the video platforms that you're watching on and just let us know. I mean, if you have guest ideas, if you have any types of ideas for the show, I want you guys to get involved. And what a great week in time as we you know, get ready to watch the Super Bowl. I know it's kind of a bummer for Bills fans. We were hoping the Bills would obviously be playing in the game, uh, but it should be a fun game. And as we start to kind of move into that next portion of the offseason and really prep for free agency, that's going to be funny to talk about right i mean brandon bean kind of gave the inclination that he was hoping you know that they'd get an idea of what the salary cap was going to be in the next couple weeks and then i believe i read something where um somebody from the chiefs organization talked about you know we they might not know until you know closer to the draft what the what the what the salary cap is actually going to officially land on and then it gets you thinking well how are they going to do free agency without like a cap number and you know it really it really goes to to show you what kind of what these general managers and front office folks are really dealing with right now as they try to shape their rosters. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult process this year. And I know we talked about Brendan Bean and how he's come right out and said, you know, don't expect any blockbusters. The one thing I will say is there's about half the, it feels, I feel like it's about half the league is already at that cap. uh, The 175 range, there's going to be a lot of talented players that are going to get let go if they can't restructure their deals, if they can't come to those terms. So you might be able to fill some holes with some bargain guys, some guys that you wouldn't usually be able to get at a certain uh, price point for a, maybe it's just one year because of the cap space. And those players can then re, you know reestablish their value, prove that they're worth a bigger deal when the cap starts going up. So it, it's going to be really interesting, though, because that's the, that's the counterpoint to, hey, we're not going to make any blockbuster moves. But at the same time, don't be shocked if there's some premier players that land on the market and not only land on the market have to agree to a contract that maybe is is a lot less than what you would expect in a given year one of those players i think is really interesting and i don't think is a trade candidate just because of that 17 and a half million price tag that he has on his contract right now but jj watt is most likely going to be cut and i don't think any team is going to trade for him why would you because you know that the houston texans are probably gonna have to move on from him especially if they end up trading deshaun watson it's gonna be a complete teardown and who knows i mean that 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 whole situation out there you know is 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 just a mess 
And I think that JJ Watt on the free agent market becomes, especially in this, in this climate, in this environment with all of these dollars that, you know, are going to be tough to come by. He becomes a real viable option. And you look about some of the things that he's looking for in a franchise. And I think that it'd be really easy for him to look at the success the Bills had wanting to maybe take a run at a, a playoff run. I think that he would become your number one best pass rusher, even at the advanced stage in his career. And obviously the production isn't the same that it was even two or three years ago, but he's somebody that I think completely changes the game for this defensive line. Boy, oh boy. I, I put something up there on the site a few days ago and I, I still haven't uh, heard the end of the comments on, especially on Facebook. A lot of people uh, commenting that it was just kind of a breakdown and you're right. If he gets released, it's a completely different ball game than trading for the guy and then restructuring his deal and extending him to for a few years. If he's released, there's no dead cap, obviously, for the Texans, so there's a reason for doing it. They're already pressed against the cap. He wants to play for a contender. He's getting up there in age. Uh, and like you said, in terms of what he brings to the table, in terms of the type of player he is, he is a great fit for this locker room. He's a great fit on the field for this team. And I know a lot of fans, that was the number one comment I said is, oh, he'll go play with his brothers. Maybe. Maybe he does want to play with his brothers in, in Pittsburgh. But I'll say right now, even though the Steelers were the number three seed in the AFC this year, the Bills are a lot closer to being a championship team than the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. I think that Ben Roethlisberger does not have anything left in the tank for the most part. I think he'll be back next year. He's already said he'll do whatever he has to contract-wise. He wants to play one more year. If J.J. Watt is fine just playing with his brothers and he doesn't want to win a championship before the end of his career, go go to Pittsburgh. Go have a great time. If you want to try to win a championship, though, in the AFC, if you want to stay in this conference, the Chiefs and the Bills right now are your top two teams, in my opinion. And I know we covered the Bills. There's no bias here, though. You look at that roster, and they have so many important pieces and spots with young talent, and then they have veterans mixed in as well. I, I truly think that uh, they the Bills would be on the table. Uh, for his consideration, if that is the case. I think edge is something that they have to really be aggressive with. And, you know, I, I think that they have a lot of talent on the interior, even if you move on from both Vernon Butler and Quentin Jefferson. I think that Quentin Jefferson, I think, was a little bit disappointing. Who knows? Maybe they have belief in him to come in next next year if he's still on the roster and, and contribute a little bit more. I was really disappointed in Vernon Butler. You know, the continuity there with Eric Washington, I thought was going to – play out a little bit more consistently. And I think by the end of the season, I mean, really the only two guys you could count on were Harrison Phillips and Ed Oliver on the interior, you know, in that playoff run. And, you know, I think those two guys in place is kind of the nucleus. And then you add probably Starla Tulele into the mix. Um, you go, you kind of build from there, but I think they need to add on the edge. I, I think even with AJ Epinesa, even if you're able to maybe restructure Jerry Hughes, I mean, he's on the hook for nine and a half million and, you know, I know that he's a, a huge locker room guy and, and coming off a really great season. And that's another conversation we can have. I mean, you know, the pressure rate is good. I mean, he wins a lot. He forces attention, gets double teams. But if you look at the statistics on that defensive line, I mean, you're leading sack getters this year, five apiece for Mario Addison and A.J. Klein. That's just not good enough. You have to be aggressive. And I'd almost argue that as important as Matt Milano is to this defense, and I know he does a lot of things. AJ Klein was pretty good once he got comfortable. And if you were to say maybe not spend that 14 million and we're just dipping our toes in the water of free agency, but you go put on the tape of last year and watch some of Hassan uh, Reddick from Arizona, 
kind of a converted linebacker who's now kind of more of a, a hybrid stand-up edge rusher. He's somebody that you could probably get for a little bit less than Milano's going to get, and he immediately becomes a quarterback nightmare, and, and that's what they need. They need to add that. If you could find that in the draft, great. But the way that I was kind of reading Joe a little bit and talking about the options there where the Bills are drafting, I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot, and, and they need to bring in somebody that can be a uh, – a force next year on the defensive line. And I think that'll be, that'll go a long ways of helping that secondary. Even if you have to go with the winner of Levi Wallace versus Dane Jackson. Yeah. There might have to be one player in free agency that they have to spend a little bit more on than you're anticipating. Uh, because like you said, at number 30 in this year's draft, that, that is a, a crapshoot. It's why a, a team like uh, the Patriots have not been very good drafters as of late. It's hard to find a premier talent at the end of each round and expect them to come in and contribute uh, to these rosters. And it's going to be a challenge for Brandon Bean. But like you said, right now, we don't have any uh, reason to doubt the guy. He, he's drafted pretty well. He's found some some key players, some gems in every draft class to date. So you're hoping you can find some more there. But finding a difference maker at 30 at one of these positions as a rookie, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Uh, but over time, I do think this staff can develop these players, bring them along, just like we've seen them do countless times with other players uh, from you know 2017, Sean McDermott's first year coaching, all the way currently to uh, you know 2020 with after Brendan Bean's had a few drafts here as GM. PJ in the comments, he said he spotted something blue in my room. I don't know what he's talking about. My clock's not blue, and he's usually pretty obsessed with that. Speaking of which, um, in my room, like where we redid the basement and obviously the studio is down here in the basement, we got the spin bike going, um, got the workout area off to the side. Ryan, I know you're, if anybody follows Ryan on, on, on his Instagram account, this guy's killing his workouts. I'm trying to get back into it. So listen, if speaking of it, I told you guys, yeah, the clock's always going to be off. Okay, PJ, it, it, it's staying off. It's staying at five o'clock. I let five o'clock is when people get out of work. It's a pretty exciting time. I feel like we're just going to leave it at five. We're going to leave it off because if I turn it on, it, it kind of has this neon deal to it. It's just not a good look. And I thought we, I thought, I thought you've already come to grips with this, but I bring up the the working out too, because um, that's also what I spent the last week on. We've been talking about it. Uh, me and my wife about, you know, dinner options. We got this, um, uh, what is it? What is that called? The instant pot um, yeah, air fryer combo. Pot, yeah. Dude, I've spent the last like five days. We've been trying different chicken recipes and different types of recipes, and like n they're just not coming out right. Like they're, they're edible, but I just <laughs> I feel like I'm not. Do you have this? Do you have an air fryer or I, we we've had? I don't use it very often, but no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know some people that cook a, a lot using them, so it, it's definitely something that's become very popular. Yeah. I, okay. So if people are listening. Obviously, we have a very engaging fan base uh, of the show. We love you guys. Get in my DMs too. Tell me, give me, send me, send me along some videos on how to cook chicken in the air fryer, air pressure cooker, because it's just not going well. And I'm not a good cook to begin with. Um, but PJ has a good question, a football related question here, and I, and I think we should hit on it. If anybody has questions, be around for a few more minutes. Throw them in here. We'll 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 kind of grab them rapid fire. Should the Bills cut John Brown and draft new wide receiver? I don't know for me, Ryan, and I'll uh, I'll let you chime in here. I don't know for me if those two things are are mutually exclusive. I don't think you need to draft a wide receiver necessarily if you cut Brown. I think that there's options out there. I saw earlier in the chat, 
Jake Kumaro. And I think it was Mike Giardi we brought up last week. I mean, you bring him in, he he's active for a couple games, comes in, makes a big play. I think there's a lot of different ways that the Bills can fill that role of what John Brown was to this offense this year. And I know Stephon Diggs spoke highly of him, and I know he's a big, a big, uh, you know, veteran presence in that locker room. But I think what he did and meant to the offense, a down the field burner type of guy, you can you can find that, you know, with, with a bunch of players around the league that maybe it didn't work out for. I know a lot of a popular name out there is John Ross, a, a, a speedster. You know, Kenny Stills was on this practice squad. I think he's another guy that, you know, probably in the mix for next year. I don't think he's going to command huge dollars after basically not playing this year. So, and, and who knows, maybe he got into the locker room, liked how things were going. We'll see how that transpires. But I don't think that they're necessarily, I don't think, I think I'm closer to move on from John Brown than I am even trying to restructure him. Cause I think that that $7 million is going to be vital uh, in terms of what they want to do with the off season. Yeah. And to be a good GM in this league, you need to cut ties with players before it's too late. Uh, and I think that's something that Brendan Bean has done really well. He sees the writing on the wall. He says, you know, I, I'd rather get rid of a guy a year early than a year late. And John Brown, maybe he has another uh, year left in him. But I, I think cutting him, saving that money, especially in a year like this where you need it with the cap space, it's time for him to go. I, I love Kadarius Tony. Uh, hopefully I'm saying his first name correctly again. These names in the draft I have to really study up on them. But he made a lot of money for himself in the Senior Bowl this year. He really jumped up the uh, the draft board. I think he's going to go in the, the 20s, maybe early 20s. Um, so I don't think he'll be there for the Bills in the first round. In terms of players, you mentioned John Ross. I actually like that idea. I know John Ross's uh, history, uh, injuries, things like that. But it, Bills also have a good history at bringing in players that have uh, an injury past, keeping them healthy, getting them on the field. I, I think that could be a win-win. Say, listen. There's no pressure for you to come here in terms of production. We already have Stefan Diggs. We already have Cole Beasley. We have Gabriel Davis. We just need that burner that can go down the field. We'll call on you to do that. We think you can still do that. You can reestablish your value. We have one of the best facilities in the league, training facilities, weight facilities, whatever, across the board. And this could be a win-win for both parties. You mentioned Kenny Stills. Stills was here. He knows the system now. Uh, he was very close to playing in the AFC championship game after uh, Gabriel Davis suffered an injury. So I think he's in play too. You, you don't need someone to come in and play huge snaps necessarily. I know you want that speed opposite digs. Uh, you want some speed on the field at all times, but at the same time you want to keep developing Gabriel Davis. He's a different type of wide receiver than John Brown, but he can also be a very productive receiver in this league. So like you said, I don't think it's a, you have to draft a wide receiver early, uh, or at all if you cut John Brown. Uh, but I, I still think every year they're going to try to bring in premier talent, guys that can be playmakers regardless of what their uh, depth chart looks like. Mm. Um, some some more uh, comments in here. We could talk about a few of those before we get out of here. Running back, um, the running back situation in general, we can dive a little bit into that. You know, I think, I think, and we're also contemplating like a, a, a similar series to start maybe going position by position here as we try to add uh, content over the next couple of weeks, get you guys uh, some live stuff. Is running back a long shot at, at 30th overall? To me, it is, and I think it should be. Um, obviously, 
you you've spent considerable draft capital in the last two drafts bringing in guys that you that I don't think really have either were really given a fair chance to um be what you hope that either can be in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I think that there's still a lot of runway there with two young players. I mean, Zach Moss is, is a rookie and Devin Singletary is in his, was in his second season this year. And so I think that to use when you have so many other potential needs, Matt Milano goes, if Daryl Williams goes, um, I mean, if Daryl Williams goes and they can't really um, uh, sign somebody on the free agent market at right tackle, we could really be sitting here talking about uh, a camp battle between Ryan Bates and Cody Ford for that right tackle job uh, next next year, moving him back to the outside, which then creates all types of issues. But in terms of running back, I think you got those two guys that I think you're more than set with. I thought we saw enough from Antonio Williams and, you know, every Bill's Mafia's favorite son, Christian Wade, <laughs> is going to finally get his chance in camp next year in preseason to make this roster. And I think he's a very intriguing option in terms of the 90 man roster and what he can potentially do in showing what these two years on the practice squad and, you know, being a part of, a, of the NFL, what that proved. Um, I'm not, I'm not team running back at 30. I'm never team running back in the first round. Um, that's just a personal preference, but I can see in the right guy. I mean, Derrick Henry transformed a franchise. So if you, uh, but that going back to to Joe's earlier point, this is a passing offense. This is a a wide receiver dependent passing offense, and I just don't know that unless you're willing to change things schematically and stylistically, if a running back really makes a ton of sense. They need more speed, no doubt about it. But I just think that you you go try to find that elsewhere. Yeah, PJ in the chat, I do like the Felton suggestion. He is a he is a dynamic player. But going to your original question, you know, I'm going to cop out and say yes and no for the running back. <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of running backs in the first round. But the one thing I will say is, even at pick 30, Buffalo could have the pick of the draft at the position. There might not be another running back. There might not be a running back taken from one to 29. So. If the Bills feel there is a game changer there, a guy that can come in, and yes, Joe said it well, this is not a running team, but if you can get someone in there that can um, be more effective running the ball, be more of a contributor catching the ball, then you at least have to consider it. And I know uh, Travis Etienne and uh, obviously Najee Harris are two of the top guys in this draft. I'm not sure how the Bills will feel about either of those guys as we get close to the draft or where their stock will be. But if they feel like one of those guys is by far the best player on the board and they're there at 30, by all means, go ahead and uh, roll the dice on that back. I mean, what is? let me ask you this, Ryan. What does that do to this offense in 2021 if you now have a first-round running back after drafting running backs? First of all, do you roster all three of those guys? Like, Does that mean that you know, maybe they're getting out of the Devin Singletary business? I mean, what would that mean? if they draft a running back in the first round, I think that changes things. And I also think it puts pressure on Brian Dable and Sean McDermott to make that worth your while next, next season. No, the, the pressure part's a great point. Uh, I think it would either make you look to move Devin Singletary. If you did that, and I'm not sure that's the right move either. Uh, he looked a little tentative this year, especially later in the season come playoff time. But these are two backs that never really got a chance to get into a rhythm either this year because of their workload week in, week out. And if they made one mistake, they were pulled off the field for uh, significant amounts of time. So I'm not sure that's the play. But it, they said at the end of this season, 
we are not a Super Bowl team. We are not at the level of the Chiefs. So they have to address that any means possible. If that means adding a, a dynamic back that can uh, maybe be, you know, it sounds underwhelming, but maybe coming in third downs being a big difference maker in the, another difference maker in the passing game there, someone you can really get it to that can create with open space, maybe that is the route you go. Like you said, though, I'm not sure that uh, running back is the play there, but they're, they're, I still think it's in play just because of the, the amount of talent that will be there at 30 compared to other positions where you're going to see multiple offensive linemen, multiple edge rushers already taken off the board. Uh, we'll close up with this little conversation here. And listen, we're going to get a lot into this over the next couple of weeks, guys. So thank you for all the questions. We're going to, we're definitely going to dive into this a lot more, but Basil asked about, you know, Quentin Spain and what that meant to the run game. And I think that, you know, one concerning thing for me, I, I think that that might've impacted things. I don't think he was playing at a high level this year in those first two games, obviously a, a very truncated version of training camp, no preseason probably impacted that thing. They didn't really give him a lot of runway. That's another interesting thing, like how the offensive line kind of evolved over the year, over the course of the season. I mean, I think more of will come out on that as we move through the off season and it'll be interesting to kind of see, but I think just the way the identity change is, is something so important for, I think fans to understand and the impact that that could have on an offense you went from one extreme to the other. I mean, if you go back to when Bobby Johnson was brought in, um, the his main goal of the 2019 offseason was to kind of institute uh, a, a brand new running style, a brand new running philosophy as part of this offense under Dable. I mean, they worked really closely together, and you saw the fruits of that labor. I mean, Devin Singletary had a great rookie season, five and a half yards of carry. They you know, Brandon Bean kind of alluded to it. They were using Mitch Morris differently as a run blocker in 20, 2019 than they did this year. They didn't get him out and, and pull and and do a lot of the, you know, the outside runs that you saw from a year ago because this offense spent so much time shifting its identity from the Frank Gore version of this offense to the Josh Allen pass MVP caliber passer mm -hmm. offense. And I think in that sense, they were always going to struggle in the run game while they made that tradition. I, I Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, going back to the original question with Spain, sometimes, you know, you part ways with the player despite there being talent, if it's the best thing for the roster and for the locker room, and maybe, you know, there's something else going on there once he lost that starting spot, perhaps. Um, so you have to do what's best for the team at all times. In terms of the, the blocking itself, at the end of the day, you saw this offense put up, again, over 500 points, so many yards, moving the ball up and down the field. The run game was not effective, but I would take this offense, this much production, week in, week out, anytime over a, a offense that has a little bit more of a running game, but isn't scoring as many points. So, you know, going now into another year with Bobby Johnson, another year knowing that their main priority is protecting Josh Allen, I still think they can go out there and say, listen, we need some maulers on the interior of that line, especially against Kansas City. You saw Chris Jones uh, pushing through the line. You saw th the Bills weren't able to be as physical as those uh, defensive linemen on the Chiefs. So maybe you go out and you add some physical offensive linemen, whether that's in free agency or the draft, uh, and you, you kind of say, all right, we're, we're still protecting Josh Allen. That's still our number one goal, but we also want to have some some nasty players on the inside that aren't afraid to run block. You know, you saw John Felicia at the end of the season almost cheering every time they ran the ball, clapping, getting fired up. 
you want players like that, players that take pride in the fact that, hey, we, we don't run the ball a lot, but when we do, we want to be effective at it. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if they address the offensive line to try to make them a bit better in terms of run blocking. But the overall identity needs to stay the same, and that's protect Josh Allen, let him sling that ball around, you know, because we saw the type of success uh, that they had this season. Yeah, and you know, to I believe it was uh, Facebook comic Jacob. Uh, thanks for watching. Uh, he's been pretty active in the chat as well. He mentioned Najee Harris, maybe the next Derrick Henry, and I think that almost eliminates him from the conversation for the Bills because. Derrick Henry is the focal point of that offense. And you're not going to draft a guy in the first round who really just stylistically can't be the focal point of this offense. I mean, Josh Allen's too good. And he he's he does too many things to take the ball out of his hands the number of times that a Derrick Henry type option, if that is who Najee Harris becomes. Um, what's up, Elliot? Uh, don't worry about being late because the cool thing of the live videos is you can just go back and watch it from the start. Um, and speaking of which, we're going to get out of here. Um, went a little little bit longer than necessary, but we haven't uh, been on this whole week. Uh, like I mentioned halfway uh, through the show, subscribe uh, if you're watching on the new YouTube channel. Thank you so much uh, to, for your support on there. We really appreciate it. Hit me up in my DMs. Any ideas you have for the show? Uh, off-season cadence, how many episodes you guys would like. If you want us to break them up a little bit more, maybe not do so many long ones, maybe do a couple more short ones. We'll have some, obviously, some reaction-type podcasts throughout the, the course of this off-season. Anything big breaks on, on any uh, the, the type of news items. Matt Milano, obviously, will be tracking that. Daryl Williams, any type of stuff like that. Uh, we'll be live for those. But anything you want to see, guests that you want to see. Like, we have a lot of fun ideas for guests. I, I have a couple already kind of churning uh, requests in and conversations uh, have it, uh, being had. But if you guys have somebody that you'd like to have on the show, hit us up. We're always uh, open to suggestions. Uh, final thought, Ryan Talbot. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because we had him on the show, but go check out the Draft Network where Joe Marino does a lot of his writing. Um, they have a premium subscription. I have one. It is well worth the money. Big boards that you can look at, mock draft machines. There's so much you can do. You can make your own big boards there. You get some uh, special uh, features there as well. So if you are someone that is big into the draft, want to see some players that will fit this Bills offense and defense, go check out that site. Um, thanks again, everyone, for your support. We, we couldn't do this without you. So once again, uh, you know, hit that subscribe button, rate, review. Beautiful. We will see you soon. Next week, we'll, uh, we'll, be, we'll have a post-Super Bowl episode on Wednesday. We're still working on that. Uh, definitely check out the Bills Flash Briefing uh, this, this Friday, every Friday. That's a cool little feature of the podcast uh, that we do here in advance as well. If you're not familiar, that's available only audio only. Uh, so that's pretty cool. All right. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. Keep it locked there uh, for all the latest on the Bills. And we will see you next week. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win.